confidence was when I got a bad grade on my math test, even though I studied hard. I still struggle with math confidence today. I wish my dance teacher would know that a lot of people are working really hard and that it's important to reward the people who are working really hard and not just the people who are naturally gifted. There was a time when my mom told me that my face was shaped like an oval and it made me lose confidence because I felt like I wasn't pretty. And I don't like it when people interrupt me because it makes me feel like I'm not important enough to be heard. My mom always tells me not to be so hard on myself, but then she's hard on herself. Welcome to Tilted, a Lean In podcast. Each week we explore the uneven playing field, the gender bias that lurks in unexpected places, the impact it has on our everyday lives, and what happens when women lean in and start driving change. I'm your host, Rachel Thomas, co-founder and president of Lean In. Here's something everyone with a daughter should know. And I remember the first time I heard this, it just stuck with me and has stuck with me ever since. Between elementary school and high school, girls experience a big drop in confidence and far bigger than what boys experience. As the head of Lean In and the mother of an 11-year-old girl, Haley, this frankly terrifies me and I'm guessing it terrifies everybody else listening as well. So I went looking for answers. I wanted to know what we as parents, but not just parents, what all of us who love the girls in our lives can do to help them be their best, most confident, and most resilient selves. I sat down with four experts. Claire Shipman, who's a journalist and author of the best-selling book, The Confidence Code for Girls. Rachel Simmons, founder of an amazing organization called Girls Leadership and author of Odd Girl Out. Tavera Stith, who works for KIPP, a network of charter schools and underserved communities. Tavera runs a program that helps KIPP grads transition to college and then into their careers. And finally, Jennifer Ayers, who runs a great progressive middle school right here in Palo Alto, fittingly called Girls Middle School. We covered a lot of ground together, from how to help girls step outside their comfort zone to how they can say what they really mean to their friends. Because we covered so much ground, we've organized my questions and their answers by theme. That means you'll hear me jump from expert to expert, but you'll get all of their best material on each topic grouped together. So let's dive in and learn more about the middle school confidence drop and what we can do about it. Claire, in your book, you write that before age eight, girls and boys are equally confident. There's almost no difference between the two. But all of that starts to change as kids grow up. What's going on? So what we found in our research is that the confidence gap between boys and girls really starts at puberty. Um, Starting at about age eight, there's a plummet, uh, literally, of 30% between the ages of eight and 12. Girls lose 30% of their confidence. And in many cases, we never get it back, right? Our confidence often is never as high again as that of men. Jennifer, one of the things that's really interesting is you've decided to focus just on girls and just on middle school. What is going on during those years that's so unique? Middle school is such a crucial time in a girl's life. And it is a time of 
maximum awkwardness, I would say, a time when girls often feel uncomfortable with the rapid changes they're going through and in which their development really diverges from boys uh, substantially. Girls hit puberty earlier than the boys, and they also uh, tend to be able to think abstractly earlier than the boys. They're often taller. They're starting to develop uh, breasts, getting their period, and the boys often still look like elementary school students. Um, Girls have an easier time being organized um, earlier than boys, and so some tasks of middle school are easier for girls than boys, but they also have um, more difficulties sometimes with three-dimensional reasoning uh, than the boys. So that's so interesting. Girls are developing developing faster than boys, but we also know that their confidence drop is bigger too. Why? Boy, that's a good question. I think that as, and I'm I'm going to answer this not based on deep research, but on my sense as an educator, that uh, girls are so attuned to how they are perceived in the world vis-a-vis other people and um, pleasing the people in their lives. Whether it's by society uh, influences or for some other reason, they have a tendency not to want to raise their hand unless they're sure they're right, to stop and process a question before they raise their hand. There's a lot of data about that. If a teacher asks a question, the girl will process it, and the boy will shoot his hand up uh, just for the sake of some movement, perhaps, um, and then trust that he can process the question on the fly and give the answer. Girls don't tend to do that. But whether there's just a kinetic way that the boys are in class that tends to quiet girls, you know, to shut girls down, whether it's wanting to uh, impress boys but not um, feeling that the messages in society are is you can't be smarter than the boys. And Devera, what does this look like in the classroom? Do girls behave a little differently or do you see differences in the way that boys and girls, you know, raise their hands, speak up, take the lead in school? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the school setting. It depends um, on the teacher. But I think this idea of an- ask, answering a question when you think you already know the answer and not just going out there and saying, I don't I'm not sure if this is right, but I, I have a logic to, to put me to that place. Um, and so I, I do think that there's this phenomenon where a boy will just raise his hand and say, well, look, let me go out there and throw it out there. I can. There are two choices. I'm right or I'm wrong, right? Where a girl is sort of far more calculated and really confident that she's right before she raised her hand. The problem in that is not that she's confident she raised her hand, perhaps she's right. But that one instance when she's wrong can shut her down from raising her hand for weeks and months to come. As I spoke to all of our experts, the biggest theme that bubbled up over and over again was the importance of getting girls to step outside their comfort zone and take risks. And I know I've seen this with my own daughter. Rachel Simmons calls these little acts of assertiveness, and everyone agrees they help girls build confidence and build resilience. So I know there's no silver bullet, but I am on a quest to get all the best information I can possibly get to to use with my own daughter. And I know, Claire, you're doing this as well at home. What's critical that we do with our girls, we say to our girls, you know, we encourage our girls to do? What can we do as parents to get this right? I would say just understand that if your daughter's always wanting to be comfortable, she's not in the right place, right? You've got to push her out of her comfort zone. And that might be literally walking to the library. It might be ordering in a restaurant. It might be cooking an egg and messing it up 400 times. There are a million different ways. 
to force her to use that risk-taking muscle. But if she's not doing some failing, and it doesn't have to be, you know, failing her junior year, every class, and, you know, but it just targeted failing, she's really not learning. Or, or more importantly, I think building confidence. And then the other thing I think is um, there's almost a, a trick we can use to help girls exercise con- their confidence muscle, and they will start to do it in other ways. And that is get them to take risks on behalf of something greater than themselves. So they might not want to shoot their hand up for every math question or to answer every history question. But if you, you know, there's been some really interesting research. This woman who did this with middle school girls found that she started a club for girls who are interested in animal welfare. And every girl's pretty much interested in animal welfare, right? So they would speak up on behalf of these animals and dogs and take risks. And then that translates. So once you learn those skills, you can translate them into something else. One of the things that you said that I just want to go slow to go fast so everybody really internalizes it because I think it's so right is if your girls aren't failing, they're actually not building confidence. Because it's it takes a little minute, like a minute for those two ideas to fit together. It feels counterintuitive, but it's not because it means they're not putting themselves out there. And you got to put yourselves out there and do it. And pick yourself back up, and that's where confidence comes from. Right. The, the formula for confidence is, right, doing a little, then a little bit of failing, a lot of learning, and eventually mastery. So but you have to do, and you have to do some failing. Rachel, when we worked together on Bambasi, and for everyone listening, this is a campaign that highlighted the ways we inadvertently discourage girls from leading. You had this great activity to help girls break big challenges into manageable steps. Can you walk us through how it works? Sure. Um, and, and this is an activity, by the way, I use with, with girls and women of all ages, which is sort of uh, fascinating. It just goes to show so many women and girls have similar work to do. And that is because we are often under a lot of pressure to be really ambitious right out of the gate when we have a challenge in front of us. It's like we want to build Rome in a day. We want to do something polished and fabulous. But one of the things that I've found is that and that other researchers have found is that when you break something down into smaller bites, it's a lot easier to get it done. But here's the problem. When you talk to girls about taking their big ambitions and breaking them down into small pieces, they look at you like you're crazy. And they're like, this is so dumb. Like, I want to do something awesome. And so we have to start the conversation with girls by saying, actually, when you lower your standards, you can do great things. Because it is by pushing ourselves to be so perfect all the time that we often end up falling falling short of these crazy standards, feeling ashamed, giving up, um, or in general, just avoiding the situation. So the activity is find something that you want to do that makes you scared, that really pushes you out of your comfort zone, and then break down that goal into three steps. The first is, what's your comfort zone? So what are you doing right now that comes easily to you? And um, I'll give you an example from my own life, um, which is, um, you know, I wanted to learn how to host people in my house. When I moved cities and I was single and I was like, I got to make friends, but I was really scared to do that. My comfort zone was basically going out to eat, not inviting anybody. Now, here's the exciting piece of the exercise. I asked myself, what is one small thing that I could do to get me closer to having people over to my house that makes me nervous but not terrified? 
We have a better shot of accomplishing things that are hard, but not terrifying. And psychologists call that desirable difficulties, like that sweet spot between something that's super easy for you and super hard. So for me, that low risk was having somebody over for bagels and like orange juice, basically. Something that would make me uncomfortable because I'd have somebody in my house, but I wouldn't have to do a ton of cooking. My high risk zone, which is that third bucket of like, what am I going to do to get to my goal? The high risk zone is the thing that's still really scary for me. And that would be like having somebody over at my house for hot food that I would have to prepare like in the moment. So I did the bagel thing and I like I didn't die. Well, thank God you didn't die. And Rachel, I love this activity. I love, love, love it. I've always thought this was a great tool. What's an example of using it with, say, a young girl? So a good example for a girl would be a girl who's starting a new school and wants to make new friends. And, you know, for a lot of girls, the idea of sitting down at a new lunch table is like absolutely terrifying. And so I'm always telling parents, like, please don't recommend that your kid just do that right off the bat because that's just like the worst. But um, what would a low risk towards making friends look like for a girl? Well, it might look like just saying hi to somebody new at school tomorrow. And that's really key, by the way, is to come up with a time and a day that you're going to take this low risk so that you can kind of be accountable to it. And and then you can ask the girl, you know, hey, did you do that? Did you say hi to that person? And if she says no, that's actually okay too. Because you can say, well, did you get anything out of like not doing it? What did you take away from that? Or why didn't you do it? Um, And then another low risk might just be like, um, following somebody that you don't know, like on Instagram or on Snapchat, because when kids do that with each other, it's kind of a way of shaking hands with them. And so that can also be a low risk. It's really important for parents, too, to make sure they are lowering, lowering their standards for their daughters, because we may want our daughters to be more social and to be more outgoing as they start a new school. And it's so important to remember that we have to parent the kid we have and not the kid we wish we had. Um, and so breaking things down into small goals can really help. And I think like you get such a good rush. I mean, if you look at the rush of confidence that a girl gets, that we all get from doing a small act of of courage, you take that rush and you kind of leverage it for the next one. You parlay it into the next act of courage and you build up over time. And it's, you know, courage for me anyway is a muscle that I have to flex over and over again. I always tell my students, you know, you're not just going to like wake up one day and know how to tell your friend what's bothering you. You're not going to wake up one day and know how to ask someone for a raise. You're going to have to build into that skill. Like when you go to the gym, you don't start lifting 100 pound weights. You've got to build up. And so that's also a really important thing for, for girls to understand is that it's little by little, like they're practicing a new skill. So we've talked a lot about confidence and sometimes girls having a little less for a lot of reasons. What are the implications of this lack of confidence? What does it look like and what can we do? One thing parents should always remember, and I've learned this the hard way, don't try to analyze the failure with them immediately because they're really upset. So you've got to give their amygdala time to recover, let them chill out, watch TV. Then when they're ready, you can start to work through some of you know what happened and different ways to get through it and then how to move move on from it, right, so that they can um, get past it. It's so important that we try not to encourage perfectionism in our daughters, but that we also avoid it ourselves as mentors, as mothers. I mean, the number one thing they're taking from us is what we're doing as role models for them. So I've tried to come home all the time and talk about 
gosh, I'm worried about this. I think I messed up today. What do you think? My editor hates this part of my book. I'm a little bummed. And what would you do? And really try to let my daughter see that I'm, I'm not, not only am I not perfect, I'm not even striving for it. I have to say, all this material on the importance of stepping outside your comfort zone, taking risks, learning to fail, I think this is so critically important. I do this with Haley all the time, but I'm going to do even more now. The other thing we know that is incredibly important are healthy, supportive friendships. They're important to all of us, and they're particularly important as girls are growing up and finding themselves. Rachel and Tavera shared a few insights on girls and friendship that struck me as spot on. Rachel, I know in your work with girls and women, you talk a lot about the importance of speaking up. And let's be honest, speaking your truth in friendship. I think this is really important, too. But it's scary because you can't control how it turns out. What if they respond badly? How do you prepare girls for these conversations? Yeah, that's such a tough one. So um, because, like, it's really unpredictable what's going to happen in a friend conversation. So what I do with my students is I say, listen, even if you do tell your friend how you feel and she doesn't give you the reaction that you were wanting, what is the minimum benefit? So meaning what's the least good thing that comes out of this situation? Like even if it doesn't go my way. And what girls will often say is, well, like the least good thing is that I spoke up and I said my piece, right? Like I used my voice and I wasn't silent. Or they might say the least good thing is that I kind of learned who this friend really is, right? In other words, like I spoke up, this friend reacted poorly And she kind of gave me a message about like the fact that she's not a good listener. She's not particularly respectful. And that's useful information. Now, what are we doing in that conversation with a girl? We're basically saying, can you respect that even if the outcome doesn't go exactly the way you want it, there's a lot that you get from the process. Perfectionists are not into the process. Perfectionists are all about the outcome. So part of what we need to do with girls is be like, on the journey, you're actually getting a lot of growth. And that sometimes just proving to yourself that you are stronger than you thought is like gold. I mean, that's a pretty sweet thing to walk away from a situation or a conversation that didn't go your way with. Tavera, we know friendships are really important to all of us and definitely to girls. How do you think about friendship? It's about the longevity of relationships, you know, and um, are we providing opportunities where girls sort of are in relationships that really go over time, like their lifelong friendships, their lifelong relationships, but just also exercising people who aren't good for you, you know, like the folk, the person who isn't going to encourage you, male or female or whatever. I mean, women tend to be really loyal over a long period of time. And so even if someone doesn't prove uh, to be really great, they keep it. I equate it to that like dress that I don't look very great in but I still have it in my closet. I I don't think one day that dress is going to look better on me. It's not about my size. It's just an awful dress. Free yourself with a dress, (laughs) right? (laughs) But for some reason, I'm like, but this is a dress and I bought it and I committed to the dress, right? right? I think sometimes we commit ourselves to relationships that aren't good for us and no one says like, just drop that. Like that doesn't work out for you. So move on. Um, So I think it's also about longevity, but it's also realizing when you've had enough. That's a great tip for parents, I think, just is encouraging their girls. If you're in a relationship that just doesn't feel good 
or like the dress. I just you to put it on. It just doesn't make you feel like you're everything you can be. That it's okay to let those friendships go. But also, what I heard from you, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is and then double down on those friendships that feel good. We're taking a short break to hear from Christine McPherson, the VP of HR at Emma, this week's sponsor. Switching gears, a lot of us tell our girls that they can do or be anything. But I think that's kind of an incomplete message. We also need to prepare them for the gender stereotypes and sexism they're likely going to face at some point. I asked our experts about this, and I love what they had to say. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was brought to my attention that I was using a little bit of kind of Pollyanna-ish language with my daughter. Like a lot of, you can do anything, you know, the sky's the limit, like she goes to bed every night and, you know, female CEO t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. And it was pointed out from a social scientist that we do a lot of work with who's amazing. She said, you know, Rachel, the problem with that messaging is it is harder for girls and it is harder for women. And then particularly if you add women of color or LGBTQ women or, you know, women who are immigrants, it just gets harder. And when we message kind of the very pro, we believe in you, we believe you can do anything, you know, that message, if the girls hear that and don't hear the other side, they're not preparing for that. And it may catch them by surprise in a way that isn't productive. I have really struggled with this raising my daughter because I I just remember— Early, early on when my daughter was so young and, you know, they have you have those placemats with all the pictures of all the presidents. And my son loved learning the names of the presidents. And then my daughter was like, I'm going to hide these. It's too embarrassing to me that we don't have a woman on this placemat yet, right? And so for years, I would always try to hide, you know, hide the truth in a way when she was younger, not literally, but I didn't want to talk about the unpleasant reality. And I think Maybe because I'm a journalist, but maybe because of all the research we've done that I've come to understand that, again, that knowing this stuff is powerful for girls. It's a lot of pressure to be representing, you know, your entire family and the generations of women, but it's also a lot of motivational power. And so if I can start to show my daughter and we can start to show our daughters, look, look where we've come, look where we still have to go. And you're going to have to strap on and get in the game and just keep fighting for this. And, um, and, and look at the things that bother them as a challenge. I mean, we took, like, my daughter had an experience a couple years ago. She loves to play basketball. We went to a big-name sports store. I won't say the name because, you know, it might get everybody in trouble. But she wanted basketball shoes. Turns out they don't stock women's basketball shoes in this gigantic store at all. This happened to us, too. Same darn thing. Only And all she wanted was to just have three floors of shoes. And it was so demoralizing. Not to mention that all the pictures of the girls were of girls posing, not actually playing a sport, right? And Mm. And And then I tried to just flip it and say, what do you want to do? Do you want to talk to the manager? Do you want to write a letter? 
Let's make it make it into something. And I think it's important to, to talk about reality. Rachel, I think too often we fall into the trap of being really rah-rah with our girls and not being real and honest about the pushback they're going to sometimes face. At least I know I do this. How do you think about that? And what do you recommend we do? Wow, you're just these are the big ones. These are the big questions, Rachel. You're not not going easy on me today. Um, well, I think it, you know, it's funny, you can have that conversation in a range of ways. Like I, I will give you an example with my own daughter who's six years old. And when she sees me putting on makeup, she says, Why are you doing that? Because I don't wear makeup every day. I usually I wear makeup when I'm leaving my little, you know, quiet town that I live in. And I say, Well, because there are some people who don't take women seriously if they're not wearing makeup. And that's not fair. Like there are some people who think that women shouldn't get as much respect at work if they're not wearing makeup. And I don't agree with that, but that's something that I, I feel like I need to do and I don't like it and, and, and I'm not happy with it. And that's my gentle way of letting her know that as, as lucky as we are and as much agency as we have, there are forces outside my control that are shaping some of my choices And it's very important for her to, I'll give you another part of this answer, but it's like really important for her to understand, as you point out, that she doesn't have all the power. Um, Because I think the girls who have a lot of opportunity can believe that. And actually, when things don't go their way, they take it a lot harder. Um, The other thing that I would say you can do as a parent is just remind your kid periodically that like sometimes life isn't fair. And sometimes, you know, you think you're going to get what you want or you've made a plan that seems airtight and it just doesn't happen. You you go online and you realize that you were left out. You're not going to get invited to every birthday party. You're not going to get in every Instagram tag. And that is part of life. That doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. That is the kind of, that's not a bug of life. That's the future of life. Um, And I think preparing your child, your child will be so much better off knowing that that's coming and that that's part of life than being shocked by it. Another way to prepare girls for the road ahead is help them to become really good students and encouraging them to try new things. Given she's an educator and a very accomplished one at that, I talked to Jennifer from Girls Middle School about how to do this. Here's what she told me. I think it's very important uh, to focus, whether you're raising boys or girls, not on what they got uh, on the test or the quiz, but on what they're learning and what intrigues them, what interests them. It is uh, important that they understand your own educational journey and that it was not without bumps and struggles and that you were a beginner at subjects too. I think it's even better if you can model being a beginner at something. So why not start playing the guitar or the piano or learning a language as an adult to show your child what it feels like to be a beginner and that it takes practice to master things. So if you can show that growth mindset and you can um, show them your own journey as a learner, that's very, very powerful because they tend to see us as these sort of as if we arrived on earth fully formed and with all the things we know how to do. And we know that's not true. I also think that uh, it's important to take Uh, an interest in the things that interest them and to engage with them in those things. Uh, And they may not be of innate interest to you, um, but I think if you can watch a show they love and talk about it, watch a movie they love and talk about it, engage in a game they love and talk about it, um, they... They will become the teacher, and you will become the learner. And that's a very powerful thing for boys and girls to see. 
And it's important that um, that you are genuinely playing a supporting role in their interests rather than uh, it's easy to slip into to taking control. Uh, or getting a, or a little getting overly a little excited. Ahead, a little right? overly yeah. excited. And, and no matter how quirky their interests are, there is real benefit to pursuing them. And if they want to perfect icing a cake and you think it would be more important for them to go to robotics camp let them ice the cake let them learn how to do that let them do research on that let them try it Um, because the things they learn um, about agency and about pursuing their interests and about how to get better at something it really almost doesn't matter what they're learning about and and so try to free them to pursue their interests and support them in pursuing their ideas um and engage with them in their ideas. I also think if you happen to be a handy person and you have a, some tools in the basement, teach your girls how to use them. Uh, definitely don't just teach your sons how to use the power drill and the power saw. Have your girls learn to do it too. Do projects with them that involve making things. But it really doesn't matter whether it is a drill press or a sewing machine. Uh, you can give them confidence uh, that they can create and get their ideas across in many different mediums. Okay, Jennifer, the million-dollar question, what do you do to get girls excited about computer science and STEM more broadly, and what can we as parents do at home? I was listening the other day to our 6th and 7th grade computer science teacher at Back to School Night, and she is someone who graduated from MIT and worked at Google, is very uh, capable computer scientist at this point, but but can talk still to the challenge of those early computer science classes and the feeling of being behind. And it is important to understand about computer science that the amount of energy it takes to get to the point where you really understand it and can use it in powerful ways is a lot. Um, There is absolutely no reason that girls can't uh, be as as good at computer science as boys. They were the early computer scientists at the beginning of the field, and it was uh, uh, only more recently that it became more predominantly a male field. I think giving, as you frame for girls an understanding that engineering in general is about solving problems for people, um, they get very excited about that idea of, you know, whether it's a bridge or a software program, that they're solving a human problem. And I think it's important to look at the types of challenges that kids are given in computer science and make sure that they are not uh, innately more boyish. Um, You know, I've watched GMS girls build a robot that came over to you and delivered cookies to you. And that is no less worthy than the robot that can go into a ring and engage in combat. And more often boys are likely... I prefer the cookies too. And, uh, but it's, it's to find tasks that really amuse girls is also important. So what can you do uh, as a parent? I would look for programs that offer basic computer uh, programming skills focused on girls, and there's a growing number of them. I would be wary of the camp that is uh, 90% boys or 80% boys, unless you've got a girl who already has a lot of uh, chutzpah and and willingness to to exist in that very boy-dominated world. So I would look for the girls' programs. As to math and encouraging girls in math, it is enormously important that we as parents don't send the message to either our boys or girls that we're not math people and we don't like math. It would be uh, ludicrous, I think, for people to say, oh, I'm not a, a book person. I'm not a literature person. I'm not a history person. Whereas they're very quick to sort of throw up their hands and say, I'm not a math person. 
Jennifer mentioned coding camps, and there's also a great free online program from MIT called Scratch. I've used it with my kids, and you'll find it at scratch.mit.edu. And wow, her point that we'd never say we weren't book people or didn't like to read really resonates. We've covered a lot of ground together, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how it can be harder for girls of color, LGBTQ girls, and girls from other underrepresented groups. They are having a different experience, and it's important we understand this as parents, as teachers, and as people who love them and want them to succeed. So I talked to our experts about this. So we know from our research that women of color have a far worse experience than white women. Tavera, do girls of color have a confidence gap? And if so, what does it look like? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it's probably mimicked that of women of color. I mean, if you think about all the challenges we've talked about here, authenticity, place and space, historically uh, in America and around the world, you know, women of color have been the last. Um, not only are you dealing with the multitude of issues that come with, uh, you know, race and how people see you as either worthy or unworthy, and then you add that piece of gender along with it. And for lots of women of color, that's really difficult. Difficult. And the adverse that's happened, particularly, I think, with assertive African-American women, is that it puts you in a different category when you're absolutely assertive, that people sort of, A, don't know what to do with you, um, are not sure um, where you fit. And so they take your gender away as a result. And so because I'm assertive and I'm brown, then I'm no longer as much a woman as someone else. Um, we see that uh, in so many, you know, Sojourner Truth would say, you know, ain't I a woman? Um, because she was so confident and she was so secure in where she was so that her, her femaleness, those things uh, that make women tender and loving, um, seems like something you don't get to espouse because you're also a woman of color. So definitely, I think it shows up differently. I'm not going to say every race is the same. I certainly don't want to speak um, for every racial group or, or every woman of color. Um, but I do think that there's an extra layer to that piece. Rachel, I know you do a lot of work and a lot of research around girls of color and LGBTQ girls. How are things different for them? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's a lot that is different for girls of color and particularly for black girls. Um, you know, when when we see girls, first of all, we know that black girls get um, suspended and expelled from school. They experience disciplinary action, are reported to the police from their schools at something like six times the rate of white girls. And one of the reasons for that is that there's enormous discomfort with the anger of a black woman or a black girl. And that discomfort will often cause assertiveness to be coded as aggression. So in other words, I say something in a particular voice, when a black woman says it that way, she is seen as aggressive, I am seen as assertive, um, which is not that dissimilar from the double standard women and men experience around assertiveness versus aggression. Um, but when we talk about girls who have multiple identities that are underrepresented or um, that, you know, under minority identities, so they're not just girls, but they're also a girl of color, or they're also um, a gender nonconforming girl. You know, that girl may experience. Um, let's let's look at an LGBTQ girl. While it would be amazing for every LGBTQ girl to have a supportive family and supportive peers and like teachers that are completely fine and accepting you know, that's just not the experience for most of those kids. And so they're going to suffer um, attacks on their confidence, right? On their sense of self, on their safety, on their security, on their comfort in a way that 
you know, a, uh, let's say a white heterosexual girl isn't going to experience. Now you can't get more confident if you don't take risks, but if you are busy protecting yourself because you feel threatened because of your identity, you won't be in a position to take risks and grow. You're going to be spending all your time just trying to get through. Um, and so that's a big difference for those girls. Um, and it's really important for particularly, you know, any women working with girls to keep that what we call intersectionality in in mind, that every time we layer on a different part of a girl's identity, her race, her gender identity, she's probably experiencing things in a different way than a white girl is. Jennifer, I know you're very open to talking about sexuality and identity at GMS. As parents, how can we support girls who are questioning their own sexuality or their own identity? I think our goal as parents uh, should be to be one of the adults that your children turn to for questions, um, and questions about sexuality, about gender. Um, and it, again, in those, it's important not to be too shocked when they ask you a question. It's always good advice to answer the question factually, but not tell them more than they actually may want to know. Um, so you can answer that question and wait for another one. Often these conversations happen um, when you are not looking them face-to-face because they're uncomfortable. So it can often happen where you're, you're in the front of the car and they're in the back of the car. Um, bedtime is a very good time to have conversations uh, with middle school students and with girls. And if you are perceived as a safe person to talk to and you make it clear to them that um, whatever their sexuality and, and even whatever their gender, um, that you will love them and accept them, you will make life so much easier for them if they are one of those students who, who goes through uh, questioning or wondering about their sexuality. And, and I think gender is, is new and is uh, for many of us and is harder, and many adults don't even have the language to talk about it. Teenagers are far ahead of us on um, and thinking flexibly about gender, and I think it's very important to listen. Uh, if you have a child who is going through um, some questions about gender or sexuality, I think you should reach out in your community to find the resources uh, that can support them. I would talk to your pediatrician. I would talk to um, Um, uh, whatever resources are in your community to support these kids, to make it clear that you will accept them and cherish them no matter what. And that is the message you can send as parents uh, for a child who's, who's asking those questions. This week's guests have given me, and hopefully you, a raft of ideas for how to support the girls in our lives, because I know I want my daughter and all girls to be confident. I want them to be able to achieve their dreams and be strong enough to overcome the obstacles that will get in their way. Today's confident girls will be tomorrow's leaders. And in the here and now, it'll mean happier lives and brighter futures for all our daughters and all the girls we're lucky enough to know and love. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Jordan Bell. Special thanks to Ali Borer, Katie Miserani, Sarah Maisel, and Megan Rooney from the Lean In team, and Laura Mayer at Stitcher. Our engineer is Ryan Roberts, and our music was composed by Casey Holford. This has been Tilted, and I'm your host, Rachel Thomas. 